Hey everybody, Turner here with your off-week content for the Gimme the Loot podcast. Coming into spoopy season with another Hunter's Party, this one, episode 6, Skin. It's a gross one. It's, uh, it's pretty gross. Pretty gross. Of course, Gimme the Loot, not family friendly, yada yada. Profanity, gore, crude humor, the nine. Hey man, a reminder, we stream Mondays, 8 p.m. Central Standard Time, and... Saturdays, 9.30-ish Central Standard Time, I am doing a Boozy Gates 3 stream where I play through as a character, currently doing a neutral evil bard playthrough, uh, and, uh, you know, like to have a few pops before that one, and uh, get on there and uh, do some voice uh, for our pal Peaky, and then, uh, you know, uh, chat about the show, hang out, it's a good time, so if you're at home, Saturday night, hop on, check it out, and uh, hang out with some really cool people from the Discord. And, hey, you know, speaking of Discords, why don't you go ahead and jump down to those show notes below and get on into our community, because we would love to have you. All right, that having been said, of course, this is older content. You got a few weird mics on this one, but still a good time. Back next week with another campaign episode. Hope you enjoy the rebroadcast of the show. Hey everybody, welcome back to The Hunter's Party, the Supernatural Rewatch and Dungeons and Dragons 5th Edition homebrew podcast brought to you by the Patreon for the Gimme the Loot podcast, the Dungeons and Dragons 5th Edition actual play podcast that has a Patreon now. With me this week, Jamie, who plays Eldrin Teneros on Gimme the Loot. Uh, this is Jazz, who plays Fate on Gimme the Loot and doesn't have to come up with a witty one-liner. I know. <laughs> <laughs> and this is Anthony, who plays Baba. All right. And my name's Turner. I am your host and voice of pre, mid, and post-show announcements and DM from the main cast. First off, thank you. If you're hearing this shortly after its release date, then you are one of our Patreon supporters, or we decided to throw this out into the wild for promotional purposes. Either way, we appreciate your time and support. This session, we're going to be going over episode six, Skin, which I thought it was, was definitely better than Bloody Mary. I, I think it, it has some some cool elements to it and brings in a few plot points that will run well over the first couple of seasons. One thing I did that was a little bit different this time from the other previous episodes, I've been listening to a lot of Fake Doctors, Real Friends, which is the Scrubs rewatch podcast with Zach Braff and Donald Faison because I'm burning through podcasts now. And one, of course, Braff directs a lot of stuff. So he's always talks about the directors of the episodes of Scrubs. And two, Donald Faison has way more fucking nerd credit than I originally gave him for. <laughs> so I was like, OK, I'm going to go back. I'm actually going to look at the director this time, which, of course, it was actually somebody different this time. It was none other than Robert Duncan McNeil which I was not a huge Star Trek Voyager fan. Did any of you guys watch Star Trek Voyager, a lot of it? I've I watched it all, but I'm not a fan. <laughs> yeah, I watched it. Uh, but I watched it back when I was really young, so my memory of it is a little fuzzy. I need to go back and do a rewatch. So Lieutenant Tom Paris, 
the guy who was, I guess, the kind of the the pilot, pilot and kind of racing guy. Yeah. He was actually the director for this episode. Hmm. He got into directing and has directed a ton of stuff. So when I flipped back and I looked at the directors from the previous episodes, like, well, shit, now that was interesting. I've got to go back and look at some of the other stuff. So episode one and two were directed by David Nutter, who, despite having a great name, will be back and has directed a ton of the episodes. Episode three is directed by Kim Manners, who directed a bunch of genre stuff, and a bunch of X-Files. Episode four is directed by none other than Robert Singer, who's also a producer on the show and the namesake of an important character that will show up. Does Bobby show up season one? I don't even remember. It may not be till season I two. Think I think it's late season one, but he's he's not like the pivotal part of the team yet. Like he's just like a one-off thing. Spoilers. And then episode five was Peter Ellis, who's also directed a ton of genre stuff. So... Let's go ahead and get into the recap. We st- we start with a establishing shot that we are in St. Louis, Missouri. We cut to there is a woman who appears to be duct taped to a chair who is looking pretty rough and pretty pretty bloody. We catch a glimpse of her captor and his knife. Then the SWAT team moves in. They blow the door, come on in, laser sights are out. We see the uh, assailant do the creeper walk in the dark over by a banister. We see more shots of the bound and bloody girl with a pan over a rope and cuffs. And I will be talking about that fucking rope a lot this episode. (laughs) Not because I'm obsessed with it, but because of the metric mileage of fucking rope that's in this episode. The cops rescue the girl Girl, but she signals the person is still there. Uh, they get a beat on someone. The perp turns and we discover it's Dean. Gasp. <laughs> dun, dun, dun. Freeze frame. I bet you wonder how I got this here. Got here, don't you? <laughs> that's, that's exactly what went through my head when I saw that scene. Like, it was like, this is what it's going to do. And I was like, oh, okay, never mind. I didn't do that. Oh. No, this this isn't a uh, 90s pop culture fucking crime movie. I bet you're wondering how I ended up here. Yeah. Oh, good fellas. Uh, I always wanted to be a supernatural fella. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Can I just say how much of a jarring difference the music is in this scene versus the original one? Because it is yes. terrible. It is so, awful. Holy shit. Yeah, it's an original track. is supposed to be Inagata De Vida uh-huh. by Iron Butterfly. <laughs> The actual track is Good Deal by Mommy and Daddy, which, (laughs) man. Wow. This track runs for a bit, and its it's lyrics are priceless. I I watched these with the closed caption on, and I was looking, I was like, what the fuck? What are we listening to? Time out. Uh, Can you say the title of that song again? Good Deal by Mommy and Daddy. No, nope. no, no, not that one. The oh, no, Inagata DeVita by Iron Butterfly, which huh. is a Simpsons reference. It is. In the Garden of Eden, when they play the hymn, yeah. Yeah, that's what it is. By Iron Butterfly, yeah. But but they never pronounced it properly. So. Okay. That, that that triggered both of those, or two things in my head. It triggered, I was like, that sounds weirdly like some, like, I don't know why the Simpsons thing popped in my head, but it, that's what happened there. But then also, it sounded to me like, a, you guys remember that old cartoon, uh, Pirates of Darkwater? Yes, of course. Yeah. Pirates yeah. of Darkwater was fucking great. And they had like their little gibberish cuss words. That's what it sounded like you were doing. Oh, yeah. I was like, what the fuck? Why are you cussing? With the me? monkey bird? <laughs> yeah. 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 My, my man would get mad and noisy. Oh, man. 
It's a very hard cartoon to find nowadays. It's weird. It's one of those cartoons that much like Thundercats and I think even Silverhawks had like a five episode like miniseries arc before it went to the regular Saturday morning cartoon run. And Pirates of Darkwater, that first five episode kind of mini movie is excellent. But yes, point taken. It is it is not good. It is not good music. So SWAT team for uh, yeah. what was very likely a hostage situation call, because we, we know how this gets called in later. We find out how this gets called in later. I mean, seems a little bit much, folks, to breach the door with an explosive and come in with laser sights. Yeah, yeah. Also, if you're going to do the creeper walk through the dark, it's not as effective if you're doing it in front of the people. Like normally that shot is somebody's walking down a hallway and you see the creeper walk happen behind them. But like in this one, it's shot from behind the SWAT guy who apparently is so focused looking down his laser sight, he doesn't see the grown ass man walk through his light (laughs) framed by this giant banister. I'm like, man. If you're going to do the creeper walk, you want to do it behind the people. You know, I didn't put it into that context. Does that mean that's, that's got to be like a nat 20 on the stealth check right there then, yeah? It's definitely a perception fail by the SWAT team. I would say more more the perception fail than the stealth success because it's gotcha. like, dude, you're like walking right the fuck through. Like there was, <laughs> there was no stealth. It was a stroll. It was a fucking <laughs> stroll. And then I've got redundant much because the, the lady is tied up in... I don't know if is that like drywall seam tape. It's pretty broad. It may be duct tape. It is. Uh, it's something he's got her really seriously bound up on. But then as it pans over, there's like a coil of rope and a pair of handcuffs. And it's like, guys, gotta be sure you got yeah. like, how how much like how much are you going to tie this lady up, shapeshifter? And it's, we're going to come back to that BDSM reference. The handcuffs were for something else completely. Wasn't that? <coughs> yeah, those are just incidental. Yeah, like those yeah. were her handcuffs. She had <laughs> yeah. those on the nightstand. <laughs> don't 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 throw that handcuff fucking vibe on the poor shapeshifter. <laughs> we then cut to a one week earlier, and the bros are pulling into a gas station. Dean doesn't think Sam's paying attention to him talking about where they're going, so he uh, accuses him of wearing women's panties. Sam replies that he's checking his email, which I think is on a BlackBerry with a stylus. Sam reads an email about their friend being in trouble. Dean questions the fact that he's actually staying in touch with his friends from college and gives him a lecture about needing to separate himself from his friends and gives him a hard time about lying to his friends. Stick a pin in that. That's a theme that's going to come up again, not only in this episode, but well across this entire series. And then Sam relays that Zach has been charged. The cops have fingerprints and DNA evidence, but Sam is confident that his friend would have done that. Sam and Dean joust a little bit about whether they should go turn around and turn back and help his friend, but then they end up turning back and go going. It is in fact a Palm One. Ah, okay. I see. I never had a Palm Pilot. Uh, I had a BlackBerry, which I loved. I loved the kinetic key. I love. I loved the the actual keyboard on the BlackBerry, but Palm Pilots I did not have. You know, I'm just glad. I'm just glad that it's not like a sidekick, and they're using like a spreadsheet to you know send those emails. <laughs> Like another thing that I'm familiar uh, with. <laughs> That's from the Nelly video, right, Jazz? <clears throat> yeah, that was uh, the uh, what was that uh, dilemma with uh, Nelly and Kelly Rowland or whatever. Yeah, or she has the she has a sidekick and she's sending a text in Excel. Oh, <laughs> Jesus Christ! <Yeah. laughs> and in the, the video, gets upset that he doesn't reply. Straight <laughs> <laughs> in a spreadsheet. <laughs> hey man, you did not know how to do a V lookup. What do you expect? <laughs> 
for, that's the opposite end of the humor spectrum she'll get on this podcast. <laughs> Nelly video references did that deep, hard cut Excel action. Uh, it's a whole rainbow of humor, folks. <laughs> so the notes I've got on this one is they were going to to come carry, which I made me get laugh every time I heard it. To come carry. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So earlier, before we, we got into it, I was talking about what a douche Sam was. And Jazz was giving me her like, man, what is what is your problem with Sam? And I, your honor, may I present exhibit 35 or double Z, uh, whether we're lettering or numbering, Sam's email address that on his Palm Pilot to check it. Jazz, w- what's that email address? I do believe the email says something to the effect of lawboy at stanford.edu. Yeah, Lawboy, his <laughs> fucking, that's, that's basically the 2005 <clears throat> equivalent of fuckboy at stanford.edu. Uh, he is Lawboy at stanford.edu. It's like, oh, seriously, dude, fuck you, Sam. Fuck you. Because you were pre-law, first of all. He wasn't actually even in law school. He was pre-law, right? So fuck that guy. Also, he's the first person in the history of Stanford to come up with the handle Lawboy. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's yeah, true. No numbers. In no one wanted it. No one wanted it. Exactly. <laughs> if, if you can, if you can get the first iteration of a good screen name, you're either really fucking clever, or you might want to question what the fuck you're picking. <laughs> so the the guys head out, and I think we have a different. Do we have another weird sound take? Yeah. So the original song for when they pull into the gas station is "Poison Whiskey" by Leonard Skinner, which I am not super familiar with, but I am definitely not familiar with "Broke Down" by Ray Weaver, which was the replacement. Even if you don't know the Skinner song, you probably would recognize it as like you know a Skinner song because it all sounds kind of southern rocky. I'm sure that the replacement was nothing like it. <laughs> So we cut to the friend's house. She comes out. They compliment the house. She comments that, hey, my parents are in Paris. She offers the boys a beer. Dean says yes. Sam says no, because of course Sam says no. He's a douche. (laughs) Becky, who is the daughter's name, gives the download about the crime, that the girlfriend was tied up, beaten, cut, and dead. Zach is the one who called the cops. They arrested him because they have film of Zach at the crime scene, but he was actually with his sister Becky at the time, so there's no way he could be in two places at the same time. Sam offers to look into the crime. Becky questions about what the fuck a pre-law student from Stanford can do, and then he tells her that Dean is a cop to cover for their involvement which Dean will then turn around and give Sam a hard time for lying to his friends again. And, and there's a duplication of the two places at once conversation. So first thing in the scene that stuck out to me was the implication that Sam and Becky have already fucked because that, uh, what's up little Becky? Oh, you know what you can do with that little Becky shit. It's like, <coughs> yeah, I also have that note, but not that it meant that they had fucked that. That meant was Sam was a fucking creeper. Like what the fuck is that dude? But Hey, little Becky, you think that's fuck language? She, she was, she was too receptive to it. If she'd have been like also creeped out by it, but nah, she was like, <laughs> yeah, I got you a little bit. Yeah, they, they, they fucking, they fucking, <laughs> I don't know. Do you think? Do you think Dean or uh, yeah? Do you think Dean is that quick to go after Sam's sloppy seconds? Like I, I think he would kind of stay away from Sam's. I think Dean would go after anybody's sloppy seconds. Dean doesn't really seem like he cares. Yeah, early, early <clears throat> super horn dog Dean is just does not care <laughs> at all. He definitely is making eyes from from moment one. One thing he's not doing, he is really not selling the cop story. 
Like he does not. No, there is no help action to Sam's lie there. <laughs> he, he made that face. He's just like, really? Okay. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I guess I'm a cop now. <laughs> she definitely failed on either an insight or a perception check to like not see that he was like, um, yeah, uh, Sham. I'm a cop. De- detective, actually. Detective, actually. <laughs> I'm with Interpol. Actually. <laughs> I'm here on assignment. Let me go into my mind palace. <laughs> and of course, we have the all-important appearance of the creepy Sam empathy whisper, which will show up for the next couple of scenes where fucking Jared, please, man, come on. Hey, Becky, uh, this is either me being empathetic or really fucking high. I'm not sure. <laughs> yeah, that's the other the other problem with uh, with Sam. Anybody else got anything for this scene? What else has Becky been in? Is, is this Becky with the good hair? Amy Grabow was in a ton of general hospitals. She is not actually the person that I think you guys will be most likely to recognize or most likely to go, oh, no shit, when we get into other uh, guest stars. She was also uh, had an appearance in Saved by the Bell, the new class, totally blonde. She was blonde at the bar. Fastest Samurai in the West. Cyber Slut Killers in the Hollywood Hills. Those last two are shorts. <laughs> she was Demonatrix 1. On Charmed, there's probably a Bustier involved in that sports judge. Anytime you get tricks, it, uh, there's a there's a theme of developing in this. <laughs> Monk, she was on Monk. She was on General Hospital for 38 episodes, so she did a pretty good stint. And I think we just secretly discovered that Anthony watched General Hospital. <laughs> is what I think we I think we just discovered. I'm going to be honest. I thought she looked familiar too, so I can't let I can't can't say that it's just General Hospital that would because she looks she has a face that like was like I know her from somewhere, and I definitely don't want she crossing it. Jordan. No, <laughs> the kids are all right. A soldier's love story, and oh, nine one one. Have you are you guys watching the new nine one one TV series? Yeah, no, that's all her credits, man. Yeah, I was disappointed to see her list was that short because I'm like, man, I don't know. I was just must have been wrong that I. She looked familiar. She does. She she does have a pretty generic. Uh, God, she does look like somebody else, though. And I'm trying to think. Yeah, who. it's it's been driving me nuts. <laughs> maybe maybe I've just watched Supernatural enough that I'm re-recognizing her. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> she, there isn't there is another actress that will pop up multiple times in the series that's not her um anita brown who appears later in the series does show up multiple times so uh what is like uh hey, let me get to okay so she played demonatrix one meaning there was a demonatrix two. Oh yeah yeah she was the uh the primary demonatrix uh the one with the whip i think is actually because anytime you have a female role that ends in trix there's a 50 50 shot there's a bustier and or a riding crop involved in some way that just it's hard to get out of that that's the one out of that scene at least in my mind at least in my in my head <laughs> So we we pull up to the crime scene with Becky. She's asking questions about it, and Dean doubles down. Now Dean does double down on the cop lie because Becky, for all her credit, is following up. Um, and they even talk about why the fuck she, they brought her along because she insisted on going. We see a bloody tagged crime scene. We learn some additional details as Becky goes through the, the, the police report that Emily let her attacker in. There's blood spatter all over the place. Uh, Sam questions Becky and she reveals that there was a break in at the residence earlier and some of Zach's clothes that were stolen. A dog has been barking this whole time, which finally kind of crescendos up and they go out and Becky comments. Really, Becky's doing all the heavy fucking lifting in this 
scene, guys. Right. Uh, so that the dog was nice, but got mean after the murder. The boys discussed that the dog may be a clue because they're more sensitive. Becky mentions that they had mentioned that there was security tape in the last scene. The guys are about to ask how they can get their hands on it. And she points out she already stole it. So uh, they go back to her place to check it out. And we, as we're leaving, we pan to see a pic on the fridge of Becky, Zach, and Sam. Was this the scene where Sam's like, hey, how about that beer now? Is that the scene? No, that's when they go back and they watch the video. Okay. They, I, I, do, I do have notes on that. <laughs> <laughs> There's not a lot that happened to this to me because like, this is normally where Sam and Dean do their whole investigation roles and manage it. But like, they were just handed all of the plot yeah. by Becky. She was just like, here you go. Becky handled that shit, man. She totally yeah. handled it. We get, we do get some more Sam creeper whisper for, because I, you know, I, as I do kind of a deeper dive on these things, as we go into it, I was like, you know what? They're, they've got all the little standees, the yellow standees with the numbers. I'm like, is that a real crime scene thing? Or is that just something that gets put in? In as a tropey thing for TV shows. Those little standees with the numbers are an actual crime scene thing. They're used to tag photo evidence to match up bagged evidence against where it was found at a crime scene. And for a hundred bucks, you can order them off of the website that I went to that I'm sure I'm flagged for now. <laughs> but yeah, those alphabet markers um, are sometimes are sometimes used for that. The other thing I got on this so when they pull up in the car, the closed caption splits to dog barking. And you can't hear the dog at that point. I'm like, what the <laughs> fuck is this thing talking about? And I'd literally rewound it four times because when they open the door, the door goes. I'm like, was there a weird, like the AI that did this shit fucking thought that that door was a dog barking? But then like, you know, a minute later, they finally get to the, they, like the dog is just fucking chewing, like chewing the scene. Like, at one point I was like, okay, dog, turn it down a notch, man. We get it. We, we have heard, I know this is like your big break and you're really fucking going for it, but you are overselling that bark at some point. You only get one shot, man. You got to take it. Yeah. Oh, you know, you got, you, you got to go all in on it. So yeah, that I, I got that. I got that the, the closed captioning spoiled the dog barking. For me. And then when the that dog bark, that dog fucking shattered the fuck out of his scene. So as we pan across that photo of them on the couch, we then cut to none other than Zach kind of sitting on a curb, creeping out on a businessman uh, and his girlfriend uh, slash wife uh, who are discussing the man going out of town. Zach's eyes do a sideways silvery blink to some extremely ominous music the entire time. Very little short snippet. Again, very pointed pan from that pick to fade to real Creeper Zach watching a businessman and his girlfriend. Did any of you recognize the businessman? No, I was just mad at the fact that I didn't recognize Zach that entire time. <laughs> like until you said it just now and I'm like, I'm kind of scrolling through real briefly and I'm looking at the picture on the wall and I'm like, that's Zach. And then you cut to the guy at the park bench and I'm like, that's clearly <laughs> Zach. How the fuck did I miss that? Pretty much <laughs> fades into him. Speaking yeah. of fucking perception I fails. I don't, oh. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's on me. Yeah, I'll take that. So that is obviously to kind of confirm that there's something going on. I will go back to who that businessman is when we come to the next scene where he pops up. So we cut to Becky and the guys watching the security tape. Becky confirms that it's real. Sam then asks for some beers and, oh, hey, by the way, can you get me a sandwich while you're at it? Sam rolls the tape back and we see the creepy eye blink. We get some conversation about photographs, you know, stealing the soul and talks of doppelgangers and dark doubles. He asked for that sandwich like such a dick. Like, <laughs> it's just like the most like, hey, can we get those beers? Which you did offer. And then also, let me just pile on this sandwich request that you never asked. Like, yeah, let what? me. What? Let me get some her. beer and um, some misogyny while we're at it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Go fetch me a sandwich. 
And to double down on the massage, she flips back with, what do you think this is? A Hooters? <laughs> and Dean goes, man, I wish. <laughs> Wait, what? There's a lot to unpack in that exchange. First of all, Becky, thank you for calling him on his shit. But why is your first go-to reference to a restaurant a Hooters? A wing place. First of all, like, like you don't go, you don't go to Hooters for the wings. You shouldn't go to Hooters. It's place sucks about every way possible, <laughs> and it's it's the most ineffective way to go pay to see boobs. So <laughs> there are there are places where you can go and pay to see boobs where you see the actual boob and get better food for that matter, folks. You heard it here first. Uh, so, but like just like all of it, then bundled up with a hey, I know we're watching the security tape of your brother, his girlfriend's killer, but hey, I'm gonna throw a little Hooter zinger in there. Yeah, was this, that was there was a lot there. Then uh, the other thing I've got on this is, have you guys ever? And this is like a weird old deep cut movie. Seen a movie called Strange Brew? It's Rick Moranis and his comedy partner from SCTV. They play the McKenzie brothers, who have actually been, I think, in a couple of Pizza Hut and other beer commercials later on in the day. Yeah, it's a plot where they play dumbass, hick, drunk Canadians, and there's a whole subplot of an evil corporation putting mind controlling elements into the beer, and as they're breaking into the brewery. The evil uh, scientist frames them by doctoring the tape. And the guy goes, yeah, look, I'll just, the guy, the technician who's doctoring is like, yeah, I'll just put a timestamp on it. That'll make it look real. <laughs> and then like during the deposition or during whatever, like when he's seeing the cops, he's showing them the video and he goes, and look at that timestamp right there. You can totally tell that's real. That's not been faked. Like, like real hacky. <laughs> and that's immediately where my brain went when Becky went, Oh yeah, it's time stamped. You, this tape hasn't been altered or tampered with in any way. I'm like, oh Jesus Christ, Becky! What you know? Oh, just, naive Becky. <laughs> Becky, you clearly have not seen Strange what, Brew. What year is it? <laughs> uh, so watch, watching it, you know, you know, I'm always watching it in mute. But the, I think the the sandwich, even though said like a dick move, was that was a distraction. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, yeah. He does it to keep her in there longer. So I, I, you know, I'm okay with that. <laughs> He's been an asshole for a purpose. Yeah, it's it's intended to it, it, it's intended to obviously throw her off the scent, but the, it was just done like the, the whole call and response to it is what kind of made me go, "What the fuck is this weird?" The she goes to hoot like, "What do you think this is a fucking Hooters?" To which Dean goes, "Yeah, <laughs> Hooters." I guess Dean Dean responding in that way is pretty on character, pretty on. Brand it is for him. no, it is. It doesn't make it any less fucking douchey. That's fair. Uh, that photographs steal the soul trope just feels kind of like an old kind of racist legend. I, I can't find any historical, real historical justification that there are any cultures that legitimately believe that photography stole your soul. Have you guys ever run into any actual, any actual anthropological or, or sociological evidence that that's a real thing and not just something that was used, you know, I, I, against Native Americans to kind of classify them as savages or because I, I spent a little bit of time, prior, in addition to searching for, do yellow murder numbers exist, was, is this, this fucking, is this a real thing? Or is this not a, not a, is this just something that fucking white people started saying about Indians back in the day and we've never circled back around to it? Yeah, I've never seen actual proof of it. I've definitely heard that before, though. Yeah, I didn't know that, I didn't know who made it up or who said it about who. Yeah, it goes back to specifically references to Native Americans and, and I, like, the closest thing to an actual historical correlation that I could find was that one of the leaders of the 
troops involved in one of the big battles uh, as, you know, of course, we try to put people on reservations, had never been photographed. And that was used as justification for his belief that he didn't, you know, it was going to steal a soul. Maybe he just didn't want the motherfuckers who were trying to shoot him to take a picture of him. But, <laughs> you know, I, like I said, I, I, that's probably something I will spend a little bit more of a time doing a deep dive on to get a feel for whether or not that was a real cultural inflection point. Because the other place my head went was Crocodile Dundee, where she goes to take a picture of the dude and he's like, no, you can't take a picture of me. And she's like, oh, because it'll steal your soul. And he's like, no, because you've got the lens cap on. <laughs> so those are, the, those are the two places my brain went where, is this racist and fucking Crocodile Dundee? <laughs> It's a complicated mindscape. The Amish won't take pictures. I don't. I don't. Know, I don't see a reason why in this particular art, article, but they don't. They won't even post. You do a lot of things, though. He asked for existence of it somewhere. <laughs> no, that's that's exactly yeah. It's, that's a good reference, and I think I think it's something worth doing a deeper dive on as we kind of go through these because I'm pretty sure that pops up again at some point or spirit photography which was during the weird spiritualism craze in America. I know spirit photography was a thing. And of course, then you have like all the EVP shit on ghost hunters that pop up. So we, we cut to now to the inside of the, the his house and the businessman coming home, calling out that the client canceled. The wife or girlfriend doesn't answer. We see a bloody hand smear on the wall. He finds her bound and cut up. Lindsay is her name. She thinks he did it and begs him to not hurt her anymore. Uh, he hears something break. He goes to investigate. A version of him steps out, does the eye thing, and then I think clubs him with something. Did anybody see what he clubbed him with? I was like, is that a baseball bat? What was he? I thought it was a baseball bat. All right. So second ask, do you guys recognize businessman? Got nothing on the businessman. Peter uh, Peter Shinkoda, and I'm sure I'm saying that wrong, who plays uh, plays Alex the businessman, is in Power Rangers. Uh, he's in a uh, just a couple episodes of Power Rangers, and it's crossed over with Masked Rider. He's are he is one of our two L word veterans from this episode, <laughs> making it six in a fucking row. Wow. He played Sector on the short-lived uh, Mortal Kombat TV series, but more importantly, he was one of the main antagonists in the Marvel Daredevil series on Netflix. He played Nobu, who is the main ninja hmm. who, spoiler for the Daredevil TV series and the Daredevil comic, kills Elektra originally before he himself comes back from the dead at some point and is burned alive. So he's a pretty big piece of that of that series. And I was like, oh shit, it's that dude. It was, it was kind of, and he's been a ton of other stuff too. He uh, he was in Falling Skies for a couple of years as die which is a series i haven't watched had a recurring role on the l word da vinci's inquest which i think is a canadian series which pops up on a lot of these people's resume kingdom hospital that stephen king show where he's the anesthesiologist alienators evolution continues which i guess was the tv animated spinoff of that weird evolution and then uh, mighty morphin power rangers he was in a three-parter and then the played the same character in the Masked Rider crossover. Yeah, I was trying to, I saw he was in Man in the High Castle, which I have watched some of yes. it, but I didn't finish. Yeah, so. sorry, I'm sorry. That's that's the other thing too. He's also in Man in the High Castle, um, where he plays Kazu Hiranu. Now I've seen the first two seasons of that and I didn't I did not recognize him same. from that, but he it it clicked with me on the Daredevil side of things, which makes it even more ironic that he ninjas out and then <laughs> ninjas himself in this. <laughs> And this is completely off point, but just as I'm rewatching this scene, kind of, I'm just noticing this man's face is extremely chiseled, like cheek, <laughs> cheekbone, jawline. Like I don't know if he had plastic surgery to get his face to look this ridiculous, but like the 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 lines on this man's face are insane. <laughs> 
I'm just putting that out there. Don't judge me. I don't think I don't think it's plastic surgery, but he ninjas it up in Daredevil, so I'm not sure. And he and he has got some other kung fu points on his resume, so he may just be a martial arts guy. He's got he's got a, a very rigorous face workout regiment. Yes. Right. <laughs> There's a lot of chin ups. Oh wait, that's not what those are. That's a different <laughs> exercise. <laughs> So we cut to the bros pulling into the original crime scene and Sam points out that they came back because he did saw the perp who was posing as Zach go into his house, but did never see him come out. So he thinks there is a secret exit or trail. They find the blood smear as they continue to look for the trail. An ambulance drive by. The guys give each other like a weirdly knowing look and then follow. And there we see the cops are arresting businessman as Sam goes to search the track. Dean, we find out Dean had gone out and schmoozed with the patrolman a little bit and again kind of grok the, the two people in the two different plays story and that this guy was talking about a different version of him and then Sam, Sam throws this out and this isn't something that I had the time to really research Sam throws out shapeshifters every culture has shapeshifter lore and I went oh fuck I'm gonna have to research every culture's shapeshifter lore now <laughs> uh, because that seems like a pretty broad fucking statement we get another another motherfucking shout out to skinwalkers <laughs> the most shouted out least seen creature in this fucking goddamn series werewolves are mentioned which is funny considering when werewolves do show up what they look like when they transform <laughs> i wouldn't i wouldn't call them shapeshifters they can't talk about the trail Sam asks if any shapeshifters can fly and then Dean says no look down and points out the sewer grate i was a little disappointed with the fact that Sam didn't just think to hey there's a sewer grate right here and the trail goes cold right in front of it. Like, how did you, how, how did you miss that? Your Mr. Investigation. Survival check fail, man. Survive. So, so this actually brings up a good rule question. Cause I know we use, I use survival for tracking, but I guess you can use investigation as well. Anthony, what's your, uh, you're kind of my, uh, the, our line judge for all things D and D what's your thought on investigation versus survival for tracking? I think in general, probably survival, but it could even be, depending on where you are, you could potentially use things like even nature. See, to me, survival feels a tracking through the woods and investigation feels like trying to find something in an enclosed environment or urban or interior. It's just the mental distinction I make is indoors versus outdoors on that. Yeah, that feels fair, actually. So we head into the sewers. Sam says, hey, these must be the monster's tunnels, and I bet they even run by Zach's house, which to speak to your comment earlier says the fact that sam is surprised that sewers run through the entire city because i'm assuming zach's house has indoor plumbing that may be why he didn't figure out the sewer grate dean finds some skin goop and we find out these shifters shed skin when they transform they talk about silver hurting all kinds of shapeshifters we get a call from becky she busts sam for lying and hangs up on him and of course good old dean says i told you so Mm-hmm. That I told you so felt right. Fuck yeah. That was a definitely an earned I told you so. Although this is, and I'm not saying this to be negative about the show. I do enjoy the show. Again, some parts have held up better than others, but they, they it can be a little bit heavy handed when they get to the thematic elements of it and the isolation, cut yourself off from your friends, loners aspect of this or freaks aspect of this is really front and center in, in this episode as, as that's kind of Sam or Dean kind of doubled down on that with as I told you so. We are back wandering through the sewers. We get some more goop, some piles of skin and clothes. Our shifter pops up, clobbers Dean. Sam misses his shot and the shifter bails. Sam then follows him out of the sewer and the guys split up. Yeah, I was going to add, I like like the fact that they did the 
the silver for like all shape shifting type creatures. Yeah, I think I think that was just kind of a because we're familiar with that with werewolves. Yeah, like putting that all together is like okay, cool. All right, you know that's where everyone kind of got that. It's like anything that kind of changes shape, silver kind of works across the board. I think it's a cool lore point that carries across, and I really like that too. Yeah, and it's and you know they they focus on silver bullets a lot this episode, but it's funny in later episodes because shifters are one of the monsters that you will see consistently throughout the entire series, and there are a couple of bottle episodes where there at least one that I can think of off the top of my head, but it feels like there's more than these where there's some kind of shape shifting monster and they've been disarmed armed again and guess what the guys get disarmed in this episode and they have to go searching for fucking silver and they're like looking through granny's silverware drawer to find any piece of real silver to fuck up the monster like that that pops up a couple of times and you see him like it's the least threatening knives possible but because it's silver it's effective it's just a nice touch that you see pop up a couple of times I also do like the goopy shedding skin shit and you get some really good evil dead body horror later in the episode with this because of that that goopy shit. Mm-hmm. The rat noise, which closed captioning for the dog noise, that rat totally got fucked over and did not get any closed captioning despite <laughs> having just as big a role in this episode and even getting just as much screen time as that dog. The other thing I had is I haven't been in a bunch of sewers, but I am pretty sure there are not as many chains as in the background of a Mortal Kombat fucking stage as there are throughout this entire sewer as you go through it. Because, man, there are a lot of chains in the sewer, guys. What would you need chains in the sewer for is the question. Like, what would be the purpose? There's no purpose. <laughs> yeah, no. And they're just kind of randomly hanging like like for ambiance in places. Like, I don't know, you know. Yeah. So the other thing I got on this is when they're crawling up out of the sewer, Sam is crawling up with his fucking gun and just pops up out of the sewer in the middle of the park. This one dude just walks right by him. Like, like, and that dude clearly grocks him, walks right by him, and then Dean puts up his gun. And I'm just like, oh, that's chill, bro. Right. Just walk on by, man. <laughs> Keep walking. And of course, Sam misses his shot. That's what's wrong with Sam, Jazz. Sam missed his fucking shot. Trash. <laughs> The guys go and search and look for the shifter, looking shifty as fuck. Like when they're doing the search for this, kind of panicked, running through the crowd, not able to find the shifter. They definitely look like they just crawled out of a sewer and are are nervous. Dean's not even really hiding his gun. You get a little bit of crowd reaction to that. They rendezvous back up and go to head off and a passing car reveals that that's not Dean. That's the shifter. Everybody looks kind of creepy walking around. Like not just them. Like everybody's just like really stiff, like walking around. (laughs) Yeah. There's again, kind of a little bit of an evil dead camera thing going on almost a little bit here. Like that whole scene sequence and it's done well to convey the, Oh fuck, where the fuck is this monster aspect of it? Mm -hmm. And it plays well with the, the kind of evil deadish piece of it later in the episode, but it does definitely stand out to everything that had happened previously. But yeah, you're absolutely right. The direction on that. Good job. Lieutenant Paris, it shows out. <laughs> D&D 101 says never split the party. And that's exactly what they did coming out of the damn sewer. Like, what are they thinking? Well, they do that all the time. Yeah, they do. But split the, splitting the party is never a good idea. And they absolutely fucking do it. And it comes back to bite him, bite him in the ass. Constantly. <laughs> but ho- hold on. We know that's the rule. How many times does the party get split when you play D&D? Mm. It just happened in the last session. <laughs> did it twice <laughs> in one session. Did, <laughs> did we split the party intentionally, though, or was that circumstance? You guys split the party because like, you guys were standing on some train tracks and went, oh, hey, there's a train. Let's get the fuck off the tracks. And Moyo went, wait a minute. I think it wants to say hello. <laughs> Guys, I think this train is flirting with me. <laughs> and so that's not so much splitting the party as 
Uh, what was the other instance where you guys split the party? Because you guys have been... Both of them oils. When we, we walk up to the cart and we're all trying to figure out what's going on with the cart. And oh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah, no, the, at the very beginning, yeah, when he when he goes to help that bully wug out. Hey, Mr. Um, Trap, I'm coming to say <laughs> Why? Why, yes, I would enjoy your fucking craft artisan ambush. Please tell me more. Do you have a pamphlet? Into your white van, you say. <laughs> exactly. Where is this candy I was promised? <laughs> like, it really seems like Turner's trying to make an explicit Silence of the Lambs reference here. Oh, oh, he was. Oh, okay, he was. That that guy was uh that guy was totally Silence of the Lambing him. We cut to the guys heading back to the car. Dean asks Sam for the keys, which immediately makes Sam fucking suspicious. Sam quizzes Dean, the shifter who I will be referring to as the Dean Lickit. <laughs> Whenever he is in Dean form going forward, catches Sam and his, oh, dad killed a, uh, a werewolf or in a uh, shapeshifter in San Antonio and Dean fires back. Nope. It was a Tulpa uh, thought form slash psychic production. And it was in Austin. Wabbit season, duck season. <laughs> Dean Lakit does not fall for the Wabbit season, duck season prank that Sam tries to pull. And then uh, uh, Dean Lakit goes to the back of the car, marvels at the weapons trunk, which then causes Sam to come barreling around the corner, pulling a gun and doubling down on this being a Dean Lakit due to which hand he caught the keys with. Dean Lakit fronts him out on it long enough to get the jump on him. He just hesitated too long. Like, I yeah, just how do you like you? You have him dead to rights, and he still got you with a fucking pipe or whatever it was. Like, come on, yeah, like, terrible, Sam. I, I mean, what if he was wrong though? He wasn't, but what if? Everything about his speech sounded just off. Like, if you were, if that was your brother, I don't know. It just feels like you'd know that it was off. Then what? What's the move here? You know what I mean? Like, is he going to try and hold the guy hostage? If so, let's move out of fucking melee range here, Sam. Let's take a, like, take a step back. You shoot him in the leg is what he should have done. Yeah, there you go. Shoot to wound. <laughs> it just seems like, like, Dean, first off, if he said, oh, you're going to shoot me? Like, it just seems like he would, he would not say that. I don't know. It just seemed really, really awkward. We do get a shout out to Tulpas, which are something that show up the first season and are really one of the kind of the weirder monster ideas that Supernatural tackles. And I thought it was interesting that it comes up this quickly. Only really gets used, I think, the one time, but does get, much like Skinwalkers, gets called out a few more times throughout the series. I know they used it in the one with the Ghost Facers, which is a great episode and is this season. I couldn't think of another instance where the Tulpas came up. Let's check the Supernatural wiki. Are the Ghost Facers this early in this show oh yeah wow i was surprised how quickly the ghost facers came up because i was looking over i was like what else do we have coming up in season one i think there's season there's one in season one and one in season 10 i think no okay they think it's a tulpa in season 10 Sam wakes up bound in a sewer. Dean Lickett slaps him around a little bit. Sam asks about Dean. We find out that the shifter can capture the memories of the people that it duplicates. Dean Lickett talks some shit about Dean being jealous of Sam running free and going to college and, you know, being hit while Dean feels like he's a freak. He dips into Dean's abandonment issues a little bit. Then Dean Lickett mentions Becky. And at first I thought he was throwing a tarp over Sam, but he doesn't and then heads out. Weird. Does he get all the rope and chain? Like, what is, what is he just like, dude, stealing from random like hardware stores? Rope warehouse. That's a lot of fucking rope. Wholesale rope. 
this dude, this guy is clearly into binding and I will not kink shame a single person on this planet if that's your thing and it's done with mutually fucking consenting adults, that's fine. But even the way that he ties Sam up around his neck, I'm like, this guy's into this, man. This is fucking, that is, that is a fucking just brazenly sexual way to tie up another man. And the giant cartoon style fucking pile of rope that he has that will be reappearing multiple times throughout the fucking, the episode. Uh, yeah, it's a lot of rope. I got a problem with how much rope this guy has. <laughs> was that uh, that trunk shot that we got where like he scans all the weapons? I know it was a few scenes ago, but like, no, is that the first like full arsenal trunk shot we get? Like, because there was it might be. Nah, you definitely see a bunch of the guns in there from like episode one or two. I mean, we saw a grenade launcher and like and yeah. a grenade <laughs> in the pilot. I think we get to see the the trunk. Dean pops it open. I don't think you get the shotgun as a kickstand for the trunk yet. I don't think we've seen that. And I don't think the grenade launcher, which is the longest running Chekhov's grenade launcher, I think, because it, t- it takes so long for that thing to get used, but it does eventually get used. But it's the first time I think somebody we've ever seen somebody who's not the the brothers mm. dip into it and be like, what the fuck is all this? <laughs> There's a few of those throughout the series. You're like, oh, y'all are fucking freaks. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like this is the only thing missing here is a fucking good three miles worth of rope and we're in business. <laughs> That's what he wanted out of the truck. You just Fucking, what is wrong with this guy? Yeah, he's like, there's no rope. Grenade launcher, yes. Rope, no. Time to move on. So we cut to the uh, the porch, and Dean Lickett is charming his way into Becky's place. And then we cut back to the sewers. We discover that Dean's still alive. Dean Lickett, we, we, and here we're kind of bopping back and forth between Dean, Sam, and Dean Lickett and Becky. Dean Lickett starts explaining shifters to Becky. Becky throws out, what is it, some kind of genetic freak? And we see that kind of hit the Dean Lickett right in the feels. He gives us the tragic mutant lonely backstory of the shifter. We get a little eye flash. The boys rehash that clearly this guy can read their minds and hypothesize that that's why they were kept alive because they need that psychic link. They escape and Sam talks about calling the cops. And this was kind of weird because Sam's like, we need to call the cops. And Dean's like, what are we going to do? Put an APB out on me. But clearly they call the cops because the cop, that's how the cops show up at Becky's place. Mm-hmm. But the way that that conversation went, I was at first I was like, yeah, why would you? I mean, so Sam was like, sorry, bro. I'm going to make you a wanted man. Dean Lickett is talking about how lonely the shifter is and just wants to be loved. And Becky, who again, credit where credit due, Becky's eye roll on, like Becky's not fucking feeling it. And then Dean Lickett either leans in to smell her hair or tongues her ear. I'm going with the ear tongue move just from how fucking, ew, you fucking freak gross reaction. She, she said like disgusting. You're yeah. disgusting. Yeah. And I don't think the hair, hair sniff is going to get the yuck like the ear lick would do. She starts to call the cops. He slaps her down and then binds her up with the phone cord. He might have been asking her if she'd like to get tied up. And then she was just like, ugh, I'm not into that. (laughs) (laughs) Fucking back off, bro. There's a lot in this whole exchange. One that that, uh, Dean throws out, well, at least he went with with the handsome one. The Hey, by the way, I know just three seconds ago we talked about this guy reading your mind, but we're going to remind you that he can read minds and throw out a Vulcan mind meld reference. And then, hey, man, there's the phone cord. Phone cords were fucking so dangerous. We, we've seen them be, be mis- used for evil so many times. But then also piles of ropes and chains. Chains and ropes, ropes and chains. Just so much fucking ropes and chains. <laughs> Which brings us back full circle where we see the cops come in and then Dean Lickett takes out some swaps and run. This is where the song kicks in with the Who's Your Mommy lyrics. It's 
the song on this one, the original song is Hey Man, Nice Shot by Filter. Iconic song. <laughs> which is way different from Mary by the Death Riders. Hang on, let me see if I can pull up Mary by the Death Riders lyrics. This is the one that I flagged as like the what the fuck? All right, here we go. Who's your mother? Who's your mother here, boy? Who's your mother? Who's your mommy, dear? Who's your father? Who's your father here, boy? Who's your father? Who's your daddy, dear? Yeah, that's a lot. I was like, Ugh. I just punched my mic. From Hey Man, Nice Shot. Yeah, yeah. Thematically, very different. Do you say he had her head tied up, Anthony? Like, yeah, she has like a headband on. Like, she has something tied around the top of her head, top and like her chin or something. Yeah, uh, he's that's because he smacked the crap out of her, so her head's probably busted open. But I, I think he was going to full on fucking Clockwork Orange. I think that's where he's going. I think he's got like the little eye hooks coming out next, and he's going to make her watch him shape shift to Beethoven coming up next. <laughs> All right, so we're back in the sewers. We see the injured Dean Lickett strip down and start shedding bits. Best part of the whole episode. Yeah, this is, this is some real Evil Dead here shit. Just from the, the, the way that the guy positions himself, kind of, again, that, that kind of frenetic camera angle that you pointed out earlier, Anthony. We got nails and teeth coming out. This was for Supernatural, especially. Some pretty decent body horror and for, for TV, some some pretty, exp- like the extra rows of teeth as the teeth fall out. It was the, pretty rough. The teeth was so gross, but it was so good <laughs> i gotta say man like i guess if that's if that's the genre of that that that's called that's the stuff i'm like actually creeped out like i don't do body horror stuff like it's so you like, don't like the fly yeah <laughs> no not a fan of jeff goldblum and the fly mm-hmm. no <laughs> yeah i um i am not a fan of horror movies in general just because i don't like jump scares in general like i just i like get me every single time and and the pop scare is not my favorite thing but yeah body horror especially like that cronenberg mm-hmm. fucking weird shit like that scene in looper where the guy is slowly getting his body retroactively amputated through time by the fucking doctor oh, yeah. is so fucking horrific to me that i'm like oh Oh God, I can I love that movie, but cannot watch it again because of that scene because it's just so fucked up. Have you not seen it or planning on watching Looper, Anthony? I haven't seen it. Oh. I plan on watching everything. Gotcha. <laughs> watch Looper. There's a really fucked up scene in it. I haven't really spoiled anything for you about the story other than there's oof, there's some fucked up shit. Oh, there's the scene. Go away. Sorry. <laughs> I'd skip. <laughs> Man, I keep rewinding and it's great. <laughs> We we cut to a news anchor with a artist rendition of Dean Dean talking about Dean being wanted. We get news confirmation that Becky is okay. The bros have no weapons. The guys figure out the car is probably still back at Becky's. They go back to get it, and surprise! Competent police are competent. The cops pop up and have staked out the killer's, their suspected killer's car that was left at the scene. Sam volunteers to hold up the cops. Dean bails. We then cut to Dean during the daytime, loading weapons and then heading into the sewer solo, even though he told Sam he wouldn't. And I was like, wait a minute. So we end that first scene with Sam with his hands up getting arrested. And we just cut to Dean during the day, loading up weapons out of the trunk. So I guess he goes back and gets the car after Sam gets arrested. Did that? Did anybody else notice how that kind of stuck out? They just didn't take the car, I guess. (laughs) Yeah, like it was weird because it's like, why didn't they take the car? And if they didn't get the guy they're actually looking for, why would they still leave the car unwatched? Like, how did what did he, what ninja stealth miracle did he pull off to get back to the car? The guest star I want to point out here is the anchor man that is announcing that Dean is wanted, mainly because it's a guy named Merritt Green, who's not the actor from Candyman. 
<laughs> but Merritt Green has a ton of TV credits, including 23 episodes of Arrow from 2012 to 2018, where he plays TV reporter, news reporter, anchorman. So like this guy's made a working actor career of being an act, a fucking anchorman. Backstrom TV series, news reporter, Swindle TV movie, news reporter, the L word, news anchor number one, <laughs> Bionic Woman, TV announcer, Smallville, TV announcer, Supernatural, anchorman, iRobot, news reporter, 10.5, anchor number two, DC Sniper, 23 Days of Fear, reporter, Twilight Zone TV anchor person, X-Men 2, uh, X2, X-Men United, news reporter, Final Destination 2, anchorman, Strange Frequency 2, it's a little bit of a stretch for him, political analyst, probably on a news program, Slapshot 2, reporter, Liberty Stand Still, reporter number two, Strange Frequency Oh, okay. I see. Political analyst. So he, re he reprises his political analyst role from Strange Frequency and Strange Frequency 2. That's funny. This guy's agent is... Right? <laughs> yeah. And dude, you can scroll through. This guy's got fucking 31 acting credits stretching from 1995 through 2018 as go-to anchorman for any property that was filmed in fucking Canada. And good for this dude. I saw this and went, good for this motherfucker because he really has you know he's found his niche and he went he cashed that goddamn check doing it that's awesome was he actually ever a news anchor that like transitioned to actual acting perhaps or something like it, it's i crazy. desperately want to know that more his full bio is Merrick Green is an actor known for Final Destination 2000, iRobot 2004, and X2 X-Men United, which that is not his full bio. Merrick, your full bio is I play the fucking Anchorman. Suck it. And the fact that he's not in Anchorman is a fucking crime in and of itself. Let's see if we can find any other information on Merrick Green. Oh, God, wait a minute. Oh, oh, see, things take a turn for the worse. Former broadcaster Merritt Green charged refusal to wear a mask plus getting physical officer breaks leg. Oh, oh no. Charges have been laid against former Vancouver broadcaster Merritt Green. So apparently, yes, he did actually do some actual broadcasting in addition to his his acting credits. And he's a cop leg breaker? Following an altercation at a Vancouver courthouse involving a man who allegedly refused to wear a mask and got physical with police, leaving one officer with a broken leg. Green was a news anchor at CKVU-TV from 1994 to 1999. So from 90, so five years as a news anchor before spinning it out and then spending the next 20 years as a man who plays a news anchor <laughs> on TV. Before then being an anti-masker, apparently. Man, this was such a great journey. And then it just, it ended so poorly. <laughs> you know, I actually like the way this story ends. This is, uh, it grows out and, because it feels like he started off at the top, right? Like he achieved his goal of becoming a news reporter, right? And then he flamed out. And his life spirals out of control. And the best that he can do is play a news reporter on TV, and I'm willing then, to bet he was making more money as a fake news reporter in movies like X2 and fucking iRobot than he was as a local news anchor on a Canadian TV station. That's that's probably true. And probably did not have to work nearly as much. Yeah. And like, like no joke, he is the like go-to news reporter guy in Arrow for like six years. Jesus. 
But then, is anybody seeing him do like a like counter move ninja roll to like break the cop's leg? Like I don't know why <laughs> I'm somehow imagining this news anchor like just kung fu moving <laughs> this cop and then having to be taken down by multiple police officers. <laughs> and again, that's a very fucking Canada thing. If breaking a cop's leg in the U.S. this story has a probably a much more tragic fucking ending, but thank God it was in Canada. That sketch of Dean was like spot on. Thank you. Like. I was like, who drew this with just the word of these officers who've seen him in the dark? And they're like, it looks like pretty much one for one. Like, well, Remember, they've got Becky. Becky yeah. would have given him the details as well, right? Like, Even still, like that, that, was, that was a really good, that was a really good draw. <laughs> here's, here's my thing. If she knew, like if they got Becky and Becky thinks it's Dean is the bad guy, why did she not also rat out Sam? She, oh, see, now, yeah. now I see, now I see where you're going. Yeah. That's as big as a plot hole as him suddenly having the car back. Yeah. Right. <laughs> but, but maybe it's because she remembers him fondly from the times that they were, you know. That, oh, oh, there you go. See, now Jamie's on my side. Yeah. See, I'm with you now. I think now she, they were blinking. <laughs> they, and, uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they fucking. Oh, see, there you go. But, but her last interaction with Sam was fuck off. You may probably have fucked up my brother's defense by going to a crime scene and lying to me. So, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Plot hole. Definitely a plot hole or two as we as we head into the final act. Because Dean is now back in the sewers where he finds Becky. Surprise, surprise, surprise. Then we cut to Sam and Becky. The Becklicate then clubs Sam with a beer bottle, finally getting him that beer. Dean frees Becky and she cops to saying, hey, it was the shifter. Dean wants to go rescue his brother. Then we cut to Sam tied up again. And the shifter is back to Dean with his duffel bag full of fucking a rope and a knife. Like that's like you see him eyeing the knives in the kitchen. And then we cut to Sam tied up, really super cartoon style, bound up next to a pool table where Dean has got a duffel bag full of motherfucking rope and the one knife. I've got it. The rope is there. There is trophies because it's got blood on the rope. Yeah. He's using the same rope for each murder. <laughs> we do. We do get a little bit of a vibe uh, of a serial killer kind of trophy vibe because when we're back in the uh, in his lair, you do see like some wristwatches amongst the piles of dead goopy skin. Sam eyes the knife that stuck into the pool table and then actually does an OK move to get himself out. The shifter has turned back from Becky to Dean because why not turn into the wanted man that you know is wanted? That, again, does makes very little fucking sense to me other than the fact that maybe, and we'll get into this in the monster build a little bit, that he also gets Dean's skills and abilities while he's like Dean because he definitely gets Dean's attributes. We then get an extended, extended fight where Dean Lakit kicks the living shit out of Sam before Dean finally pops in goes eye to eye with his Dean Lakit and then just guns him right down. Like does exactly what Sam should have done early in the episode, pauses for one second and then shoots him right in the fucking chest and he goes down. Yeah, no hesitation. That's the way it's that's, done. That's not fair. There was no risk of him being wrong at that point. Like you've got the real you holding a gun and you're pointing it at clearly fake you. It's not, hey, I'm pretty sure this isn't my brother, but there's a 1% chance this is my brother. Should I shoot this person? Like that's not, <laughs> well, that's not the same situation. No, it's not. True. No, it's not. But I, st- I, I was saying that's also in character. I, I think yeah. Sam is definitely 
the more hesitant word being is the more practical, you know what? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you're, you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. Yeah, Dean definitely would have kneecapped him. <laughs> yes. This is a decent fight scene, man. The sand gets thrown into a bookshelf at one point. They do that very stereotypical action movie strike square up pose where they're kind of shifting around and but Sam gets his ass kicked pretty well, and it was a surprisingly, surprisingly long fight scene where they they fight pretty decently. Also, more fucking, more fucking rope. Then Dean takes his necklace back. Wait a second. Sorry, I was just I was going through the scene of the fight, and I think they reduplicated that first fight when Dean first shows up in, in mm. the first episode and like ambushes Sam in the dark. I think they're going through the same moves. It definitely felt familiar. It's funny, man, because I flash back to that fight too, and I thought. This does feel very much like that same ambush. And I didn't put that in my notes, but I actually considered putting it in. I was like, this feels very kind of like it. But yeah, and that that may be just the fight that they were trained to do the stunt routine with. (laughs) We know six moves, guys. Does that mean Dean threw the fight the first time? Does that mean if Dean was actually capable of overpowering Sam in that fight, does that mean Dean threw the fight the first time? I think he let him off easy the first time. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. I think it's pretty well established. Because this will not be the first time the bros go toe to toe. I think, and we will we will keep a tally uh, as part of this podcast. They are one and one at this point. I think at the end of the series, uh, at the end of the day, we will see that Dean really typically comes out on top in these confrontations. Sam does, I think, occasionally get a lucky one in. But I think for the most part, it's well established that Dean can kick Sam's ass when and so he chooses. Which, Dean is the older brother, which also is kind of very in character for the bro dynamic. Mm-hmm. That necklace, have we gotten into the lore of the necklace yet or where that came from? I don't know. So I'm not going to go a whole lot into it, but they, they go out of their way to show that they popped it. Although it is kind of weird. The Shifter and Dean are wearing the same outfit in this, yes or no? Yeah. Yes. The exact same. And we established that the Shifter can't duplicate clothes because he steals Zach's clothes earlier. And I went, mm, does Dean just have two of those jackets? <laughs> That's what it's got to be that the Dean just has the backup jacket <laughs> and he went and got the backup jacket. I imagine that's not too crazy, though, because think of like all the goop they get covered with, oh, yeah. like from all, you know, yeah, sorts yeah. Of killing things. Uh, makes sense. For sure. Backup. And Dean does looks weird without a jacket for the most part, especially early Dean. Dean without a collar, Dean in just a, in a t-shirt, just looks weird to the character for me. Yeah. So we then cut to Dean reading a map. Becky gets the download of exactly what happened. The cops are blaming the murders on Dean due to what they found in the lair. And then they conclude that, oh man, that tape must have been tampered with. We see the guys drive away in a shot that will be reused not only on this series, but an episode of House for some reason. Wait, What? <laughs> What? That overhead shot of them driving away not only pops up again in Supernatural later on, it's a second one of the car scenes that the Supernatural wiki refers to as being reused, but also apparently shows up in house for some reason. And then the guys talk about being freaks. Dean mentions missing his own funeral and we're done. So do they think that Dean Winchester is dead at the end of this episode as we know it? Like it's gotta be. Or do they just assume he's a drifter and they didn't have a name for him? Like I don't know. No, no, no. They've they Dean Winchester is officially dead, and that is a plot point that will come up again. Him being accused of these crimes will come up again. Mm-hmm. And I don't know that this comes up again, but I thought it was an interesting point and I kind of held it to the end that when they talk about Zach being arrested and them having fingerprints, it absolutely would make sense that they would have 
fingerprints if a shapeshifter was posing as you, but they get into that. They've also got DNA evidence. And I was like, so is this, like, to me, that was like, okay, this isn't just a skinwalker thing. He's like duplicating, duplicating you. Like if he's matching your DNA, yeah, because we would assume that that's not shapeshifter load that got shot. It is like skin or hair that got scratched off during the, the fight. Who knows what was soaked into those ropes though. You never know. <laughs> Dean being dead and him being criminal of record for these crimes is something that comes up again, which is kind of cool. The five season first pocket of Supernatural is really good about weaving that narrative all the way through. And they do, they do some cool stuff with that later on. So, Colt, you guys got anything else for this before we move into monster creation? No. Nope. Nope. All right. This one's kind of a softball on the monster side of things. Obviously, there is the doppelganger, <laughs> which even gets name checked in this episode. The doppelganger is a very classic monster from lore and from Dungeons and Dragons. There are some very distinct flavor differences that I think help us out a little bit. The doppelganger in D&D is a shape changer and can polymorph themselves into a smaller medium humanoid it is seen or back to its true form. Its statistics, other than its size, are the same in each form. And that's one of the first things I'm going to say we should mark as different. Yeah. Any equipment it's wearing or carrying isn't transformed. We feel like that's consistent. It's got a, a bonus ambusher having advantage on attack rolls. I think that carries through. And surprise attack. It's basically got a sneak attack, which kind of carries through. And then it has read thoughts. The doppelganger can magically read the surface thoughts of one creature within 60 feet of it. I tried to look into other shape-shifting D&D monsters. There's obviously the Obelix, which is definitely gooier than a, a doppelganger. You guys would be familiar with him from the the guy that you guys fight at the Tower Series. I won't name check him, but is patterned after an Obelix. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, we fought some of these. We walked into a village in, in another campaign and, and camped out, hung out, and then like woke up in the morning and everybody was Obelix. <laughs> 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 and had to fight our way out of there. <laughs> All right. One of the things that I've liked a lot that was added recently was Mimic Colonies. I think it's in either Tosh's. Yeah, I think it's in Tosh's Mimic, uh, the Mimic Colony, which is that kind of whole concept that a bunch of mimics get together and form like a little village, basically. Mm. So I won't talk about that anymore because I like that idea. And there's a very good chance <laughs> that you guys are going to get scooby doo into a Mimic Colony at some point. Oh, no. Let's pull up some Obelix. Abilities. Intern, I'll throw you this one softball. Somebody posed a question. Could there be a mimic of a Warforged? Warforged have organic elements to them. I, I don't think as written, technically, you could. I think I think you could have a mimic colony, like a small pocket of a mimic. I think you have multiple mimics posing as an orf. You definitely could have an Obelix one. I think the only real crossover there is the gooey. I think the doppelganger is the better go. Yeah. Uh, although what I would, well, the one thing we definitely all agreed on was that he would, instead of keeping his own stats, he would change to the stats of whatever it is he mimics. I would say stats and abilities. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, for sure. The other thing I was going to say was that I think that the shapeshift ability for this particular doppelganger would be more akin to donning and doffing armor. Yes. Yeah, I like that a lot. Where there's a time component to it. So it's not like something you can just do on a whim. It is absolutely not an at-will ability. I 100% agree with that as well. And also the doppelganger reverts when it dies. The shapeshifter in this does not. Clearly does not, yeah. I like the idea of it keeping the ambusher and the surprise attack. 
So has, that basically just gives it a attack bonus and a damage bonus on that surprise attack. Right. So yeah, I'm I'm okay with hanging on to that. It definitely picks up the attributes. I definitely think it picks up the proficiencies. How do you feel about it picking up the abilities? Like if it were to shapeshift into Todd, is it effectively becoming a rogue? Or if it shapeshifts into fate, does it now know how to cast his spells? Mm, it definitely had Dean's fighting style, so it's, it seems like it's plausible. I would say tie a challenge along with the shapeshift. So like, so he's got the ability where he's got the, the mental link, right? Mm-hmm. And that allows you to read surface level thoughts. But like when I shapeshift to you, you have to beat a DC 15, whatever, to resist me going into your mind and gaining your abilities. I, I like the idea of him copying your attributes. I like the idea of him picking up your proficiencies. I don't think he picks up like Baba's, like a rage. I, I don't think a rage can, would transfer. I don't think cleric spells would transfer. The question was, lo- would learned abilities do it? I do I do like adding a save component to it to kind of go deeper. That kind of feels like it may be a little bit too much. I think the giving the abilities makes it a more convincing fight. Okay. That would also give it a predilection for picking up... Marshals, yeah. Yeah, martial classes. Because uh, I think a monk's abilities would transfer. I think, uh, I think anything that's not a wisdom or kind of innate... For some reason, like Baba's spiritual ancestor rage does not seem like it would transfer. You know what I mean? Yeah, that makes. Sense. I think that's too. I think that's too difficult to write, though. Like, yeah, because all the exclusions are going to be weird to write. What if we did it where you switch an ability? Like, I take your dex, okay, or I take your strength, or something like that. So, it, to explain it in the show, maybe he takes Dean's primary fighting ability, whether it's dex or strength, and that's why he's able to fight at that level. I think that's covered by the attribute and the proficiency dude. Like it definitely would pick up like, hey, if you know how to use if you're proficient in long swords, I'm gonna be proficient in long swords. I think that definitely would carry over. Reason well, because you may not like because they already have a straight character sheet for the doppelganger has an 18 dex. Yeah. Like I mean I want your decks. <laughs> <laughs> what if instead of giving the doppelganger or the shapeshifter all of the abilities, the shapeshifter, along with your form, gets to take one ability of its choice from you. Yeah, that's, I think something along that lines is it can it can duplicate the ability that it wants because these things I can't remember as because obviously they're more durable because they have damage resistance to anything that's not silver. They have a damage vulnerability to silver. It's it's not as evident in this particular episode, but we will see shifters in later episodes. Well, I, I know he gets shot a couple of times in this and I think survives no problem. It's not until he gets shot with the silver. So he's got definitely got damage resistance to non-magical normal weapons. He's definitely got a vulnerability to silver. But I also think they they're they're strong as a rule of thumb. Yeah, in supernatural they're strong. Yes, they're strong. Yeah, in, in general, uh, I think you might even switch um, dex and strength here um, for them. Yeah, I that's I would lean towards it. I would say swap. I would say bump strength to eighteen. Take constitution it's currently at 14 move that to dex and drop the con down to 11 just because of the weird because i I think you see later on they're not really i don't think they're really good at maintaining their form and they shed a lot and they do seem kind of sickly kind of gross so i I like dropping their con down to zero and then giving them the strength definitely the higher strength over dexterity but still giving them some dexterity bonus because they are fast he's got to have dex be able to tie all those ropes Uh, so those ropes aren't going to tie themselves they are not yeah, I think you don't. I think the shape changer, when they change into someone, they don't switch stats. They just take okay. frequencies. I just think 
because that's what that's what perfect like that's what kind of like memory of battle that's what that is right. like it's your proficiencies you know how to use um even your proficiency bonus i take like if you have a higher proficiency bonus than me i take that too okay so we'll do the proficiency bonus how do we want to play the silver eye reveal because them seeing them on camera with the eye flash seems like a passing thing in this episode, but it is their go-to for finding these things out later on in the series. So I would like there to be some kind of analog for that in D and D. Is that kind of, or do we do a vampire kind of look at them in a mirror thing? Is it hey, if you flash a torchlight <laughs> in their eyes or a lantern in their eyes, what's what's the what's the D and D analog for seeing their eyes flash in a camera other than a scrying portal? <laughs> True sight. Yeah. <laughs> Um, eyes glow under magical light. No, I would just say under under any um, light while in actual while actually in darkness. So like blue light. So like if you're if it's if it's dark out and like he walks past like a candlelight, his eyes would glow or a torch or a campfire or magical light. Also, like if somebody's just casting light and it's you're in darkness, but that light source is available. Yeah, I th- I'd say it's like a pretty easy like a DC. 10, 12 perception check to catch it. I don't think it's a full glow. I think it's a flash when they, uh, and you could even say, hey, when they're, when they enter into yeah. a, a lit area, there there's this eye flash. And I think you generally want to set it where it's just above most people's passive perception to pick up, but it is definitely something that is easy to pick up if you know to look for it. Yeah, like a 12 or a 13 for sure. 12 or 13. Okay, cool. And then we got the skin gross sloughing off <laughs> we got the attributes we got the proficiencies we've got the abilities we've got the psychic link that psychic link only exists while their person they're duping is alive right we're we're keeping that yeah because that seems to be the case i'm sorry the excerpt in the description of doppelgangers about doppelgangers are too lazy to or self-interested to raise their young they assume attractive male forms and seduce women leaving them to raise their progeny <laughs> oh jesus yeah that's fucked up what is that is that D and Oh yeah, there it is in D and D Beyond. The changelings, yeah. A doppelganger child appears normal to the uh, to be a normal member of its mother species until it reaches adolescence, at which point it discovers its true nature and is driven to seek out its kind. By that logic, are all doppelgangers male? No, it's just they do they they assume male form because if they didn't, they would have to get up here the child. They'd have to carry the child. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. Right, right. That, that's that's the word I was looking for. I couldn't think of it. No, but they assume male form to knock up unsuspecting women. They are they are parasites. They, yeah, that's uh that's gross, man. And the guy in this episode was absolutely a fucking creep. <laughs> Do we want to keep the slam melee attack, the multi-attack? That kind of feels more I don't know. That seems kind of seems weird to me that that they've got a multi attack. They just they're punching twice and they're strong. Yeah, that's one d six. That's monk style melee damage. I would say that they don't have like an like if they're fighting melee, they're doing standard unarmed damage because the you don't really see them here, but the shifter natural form isn't like the doppelganger. That's kind of like this big ropey thing. They're they're basically just fucked up looking humans. The problem with that idea is that uh, normal D and D unarmed combat is literally just one. Yeah, there's yeah. no there's no modifier or anything, so he would just do one damage with an 18 fucking strength. That's five points of punch. You know, no, what it I mean? doesn't. I don't think no. the punch adds. Yeah, it's, it's yeah. literally just the one. You're, you're, you add your strength modifier to unarmed combat. You don't. Not I'm unless sure you're a monk. No, monk, you roll a different die. I think you even have a. You have to have a feat. Yeah, we we go to the videotape. 
Aha! Instead of using a weapon to make a melee attack, you can use an unarmed strike, a punch, kick, headbutt, or similar forceful blow, none of which count as weapons. On a hit, an unarmed strike deals bludgeoning damage equal to one plus your strength modifier. Huh. You are proficient with your unarmed strikes. So yeah, so they're doing five damage a punch, basically, with the 18 strength, which is really... It's not bad. I would still give him two attacks with that, though. Yeah. Give him the multi-attack, but then just use regular unarmed. Okay. Yeah. I dig that. So multi-attack, but regular unarmed rules. I mean, again, the idea is that these things copy other humans pretty extensively. Right. Okay. That's the other question. Are we going to say they can copy, obviously they can copy humans, elves, but what about, like, can this thing decrease itself in size to a gnome, halfling, or dwarf? Yes. Mm, yes. So any humanoid, any humanoid. Medium or smaller. Well, Me- medium or small, we'll say that. Not Because yeah. if you get like some random tiny humanoid for some reason, that's... <laughs> yeah, no, nothing tiny. Yeah, there's some fey shit coming up. Oh, God. All right, cool. Well, then I think we've got a pretty good profile for this guy, which will wrap up the Hunter's Party Episode 6. A pretty decent episode with a pretty decent creature in and of itself that we uh, was pretty easy to tweak in flavor. Next up, we've got Episode 7. Which is going to be, nope, not The Force Awakens, motherfucker. Episode 7, <laughs> Supernatural. That's funny. You know me, Google. Uh, oh, it's Hookman, which is an interesting one. So I think you guys have talked about bringing up the kind of urban legends with the Bloody Mary thing. This next episode really dives deep into the urban legend territory. So cool. Guys, as always, uh, thank you, Anthony, uh, Jazz, and Jamie for hopping on, helping do the recap, and helping come up with the monster. Thank you, listeners, for supporting our Patreon and our show in general. We absolutely appreciate it and hope you enjoy the show. Peace. Peace.